Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Body of Christ Church, inviting you to our virtual living room, where we discuss today's issues and how those issues relate to the Holy Scriptures. So sit back, relax, and engage in conversation with us. And uh, what things are actually done now, and what, what is the true meaning behind it? 
And right now, uh, joining me in the virtual living room to discuss this, we have our brother Kabar. Okay. Shalom, brothers and sisters. All praises to the Most High in Christ. Glad to be back with you and to be discussing this very important topic, critical issue um, that really determines a lot of our future, especially those who repent uh, and, and come back to the Heavenly Father in the name of Christ. And, uh, Kabar, uh, it's just you and I right now, and uh, at some point uh, we may be joined by some other people. But, um, you know, when it comes to the uh, you know, like I said before, there are many people that regard it the holiest day of the year. Can you kind of give me some uh, ideas of why, you know, this, some people may perceive this to be a holier, more important day than other days of the year, other holy days? Well, you know, just starting off, um, you have to understand when you're dealing with the Day of Atonement, um, it, it really, it's really a critical step in the whole process and plan of the Heavenly Father in redeeming and bringing his people, Israel, back uh, to him, adopting them back to him as children. And it really involves the sacrifice of the true lamb, which is going into going into the Lord Jesus Christ, but it builds up to that point. This, this, we're talking about an event that happened in time and in history, and it, had, it begins at an origin, and that origin that we can begin from uh, is really the book of Leviticus chapter 23. And that's why it's so important, so critical, why so much hinges on it, because it was the critical step and the, the critical time that the Most High executed a plan that actually was able to solidify uh, his saints and those who repent through Christ uh, being adopted back to him as children. Okay. So uh, I think we got Kazaki. You, you there? Hey, shalom, brothers. Most in the name of Christ, bless all. Hey, shalom, so brothers. Bless you, brother. Um, Kazaki, in, in regard to uh, the Day of Atonement, um, can you, from the scriptures, uh, Give us information regarding when it started, and you, you, I'm not speaking in terms of the uh, the day and the year or anything like that. But you know, in, in terms of in the in, in the scriptures, did it start in the book of Genesis? You know, what chapter verse is the first time you see the Day of Atonement mentioned? All right. Um, first and foremost, the Day of Atonement, uh, as far as chapter and verse is concerned, it's it's first mentioned of in uh, the book of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, and it was basically instituted, or we were first educated as a, as a people, we were first educated re- regarding the Day of Atonement. Uh, and during, during our sojourn in the wilderness uh, for, those 40, uh, for those 40 years, uh, on our way towards the land that was uh, promised to us by the Heavenly Father uh, through our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So uh, when you... When you read the, Levitic, uh, the book of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, <clears throat> uh, starting at verse 27, uh, just to just to basically just put it out there and put it out, put it out, and put it out for the uh, for our listeners, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 27. Oh, excuse me, I'll start at verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. 
it shall be an holy convocation unto you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in that, uh, in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you uh, before the Lord your God. Now, of course, in dealing with that, let's understand that word atonement, if it hasn't, if it hasn't been uh, spoken about already. Atonement uh, basically means, or to atone for something basically means to make amends. So this particular, this particular day of atonement that, we are, that we're talking about this afternoon, uh, in history, uh, was a day that the whole nation of Israel made amends to the Heavenly Father for uh, the sins, for their sins that were committed. In, in the which was the high priest that would go in and uh, with his sacrifice, offer that sacrifice at this particular time, once, at, this, at this time every year to make uh, amends or to atone for the sins that he committed as well as the sins for the whole nation. And when you say make amends, do you mean that uh, at that point somehow the sins were forgiven and, they, and the people were reconciled to God? You know, they, that relationship was renewed afresh or something? Is that what you're referring to? Exactly. Uh, he would go in into the temple, to the innermost part of the temple at this, uh, at this particular time of the year with that sacrifice. And, of course, with the sacrifice, the, the shedding of the blood of that particular lamb was what would make amends for, uh, was to make amends, excuse me, for the high priest as well as all of the nation of Israel to the Heavenly Father so that we could be, well, reconciled, probably be the best word to use in this particular context, back to the Lord and receive that forgiveness of sins. I'd like to read a scripture, uh, <clears throat> if I could, in, in dealing with that. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So the shedding of blood, in other words, that sacrifice that uh, was made uh, during the Day of Atonement by the high priest uh, for, the, for, him, for the sins of himself as well as the whole nation of Israel, that was actual atoning. That was the sacrifice was that one singular act that would make an atonement or make an amends between the whole nation of Israel to the Heavenly Father in which the Lord would then forgive us for our sins that we had committed. Now Kabar, what uh the point that Kazaki just brought out about uh the blood being the atonement, uh and that's the way that you were able to gain forgiveness of sins that seems to indicate that that is the only way, you know, uh, that you could gain forgiveness, that you couldn't, you know, get forgiveness from sins from God until the Day of Atonement. Well, you know, the thing is that that was the annual uh, uh, reorientation, the annual uh, time when, the, when we repented as a nation before the Lord. All during the years, uh, all during the months leading up to that that annual uh, sacrifice that would be made for sins, all during the, the individual months leading up to that, of course, individuals who had committed sins that are able to be uh, atoned for would bring at that time under the new, um, excuse me, under the old covenant at that time, they would bring animals to sacrifice. Um, and you can read about uh, several different um 
types of sacrifices that go on in the book of Numbers. I believe is it the twenty eighth uh the twenty eighth chapter that lists sacrifices, um um daily sacrifices, weekly sacrifices, monthly, yearly sacrifices that was made to the Lord. Then there were sacrifices for sins where individuals who committed a sin that they can atone for, they would bring a sacrifice and that animal would be uh be sacrificed in the place of that the human who committed the sin so that the person would have an opportunity to to move forward, to gain repentance, to gain mercy from the Heavenly Father, and the, the intent of it was so that the person can then go on and not commit that sin again and learn and grow and get closer to the Heavenly Father. That was the intent of why the sacrificial system was set up, so that the person would have a way to atone and to realign themselves with God under the Old Covenant. Okay, so it sounds like you had uh, sin sacrifices that you could do during the course of the year, but then there was something really special about this one day of the year that uh, these sacrifices were done on the 10th day of the seventh month. Yeah. Okay, so I'm understanding that correct. Now, I know we discussed it in the program last week, you know, about the difference between the calendar we currently use and the calendar that's uh, being spoken of in the scriptures, but if you brothers would, just kind of expound on that uh, a little bit so that someone that is not familiar with uh, the calendar in the scriptures, they may gain an understanding of what it means when it says the tenth day of the month, um, uh, of the seventh month, I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Go right ahead, brother. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. No, basically, you know, of course, as we discussed on last week, our calendar is based upon the lunar cycle, which is the moon cycle. And well, whereas uh, whereas the calendar by the majority of all the other rest of the world goes by the solar calendar, but our calendar is based on the lunar calendar, on the lunar cycles, which is all the which are the cycles of different phases of the moon. So basically, how our years, how our year, and how our calendar is geared up, it, it is according to how the moon is placed in the different phases, and uh, of course, our days are, are thirty days. So, you know, as one looks up in the sky and and sees the different faces of the of the moon as it begins to increase in size until its fullness, which is the full moon, and then as from the full moon it begins to decrease in size the different phases or the waning stage until there is no moon in the sky. That's basically that whole that whole cycle from the waxing of the moon to its fullest point, the three sixty degree or the full moon that one sees in the sky until its waning stage, that's the period of 30 days, which is our month. So at the end of one month, or when there is no moon in the sky, that is a new moon. But what that tells us, first and foremost, is the Sabbath day of the Heavenly Father. And it, it, it also signifies to us that it is both the ending and the beginning of a month. It's the ending of one month as well as the beginning of the next month. Let me interrupt just a moment. You said that's the, the Sabbath day of the Heavenly Father. I thought the Sabbath day was on the seventh day of the week. The Sabbath day is on the seventh day of the week, but the Heavenly Father gave us more than one Sabbath day. Like we're, okay. like we're currently discussing now, uh, the, the, the Day of Atonement, that is a Sabbath day. The Passover okay. is a Sabbath day. So the Heavenly Father gave, gave us more than one Sabbath day to, hold, uh, to, uh, to observe. And let okay. me just interject. Um, you know, yes, it was just like you had 
weekly sa- uh, sacrifices, uh, monthly sacrifices, and yearly sacrifices. You also had the regular weekly Sabbath day, which a sacrifice was made on that day, the weekly Sabbath day. Then also you had the lunar or the monthly Sabbath day, whenever a new moon or a new month began, that would be a, another Sabbath day. Then you had the yearly Sabbath day, which was contained in the appointed times, the appointed feast of the Lord that he set up. So you had these cycles of weekly, monthly, and annual or yearly uh, not only sacrifices, but also Sabbath days of the Heavenly Father going on according to the, the lunar calendar that the Heavenly Father set up for the nation of Israel. And by Sabbath day, you're speaking of ter- in terms of a day that where you're going to rest from work and, and you're also going to have a holy convocation. It's essentially what you mean, right? Exactly, because okay. the reason the Lord would say it's a, the reason the Heavenly Father would say it's a Sabbath was because you would take the general template of the weekly Sabbath, which was contained not working, not buying and selling, and not cooking. And you would know when the Lord said it is a Sabbath, it means it's an appointed time to him where your, where your thoughts, energy, and, and focus was to be on whatever event the Heavenly Father has placed for that day. So you do have days, um, uh, feast days, that would come up, whether it was uh, monthly or yearly, that would be a Sabbath, but there would be certain ordinances for that particular Sabbath that would include actually actually cooking, whereas if it was a weekly Sabbath, it would not. So you would not, the thing that will remain the same is, of course, you would not be working or buying and selling or doing anything like that, but you will be cooking as it relates to the sacrifices of the animals that will be a sacrifice to the Heavenly Father at that time. Okay. Kazaki, did you have more to say about uh, the difference between the uh, calendar we commonly use and the one that's being mentioned in the scriptures? No, that that was basically it. It's it's a lunar calendar every 30 days, and uh, our months are determined, uh, of course, by the Heavenly Father himself, but he had it set up so that according to the different faces of the moon we could discern. Of course, when we were more spiritual then, we we were able to discern uh, the seasons and and, uh, uh, what time of the year uh, we we were in? Okay, I, I may have forgotten, but did you, did you mention uh, what time of year uh, the the year would typically start? The, uh, the time of year, uh, well, the new year according to our lunar calendar starts somewhere in March, April, and of course, with every new moon, it's the start of a it's the start of a new month. So our new year starts with a Sabbath. And coincidentally speaking, two two weeks afterwards is the Passover. But our new year starts in the March April April time frame or the spring time frame. That's when our new year starts. Okay, so pretty much the springtime then. Pretty much the springtime, right? Okay. Okay. Now, um, so from from that date, uh, that first month in the spring, you would start counting seven months, uh, seven new moons in order to uh, come up to the seventh month that we are speaking in terms of in Leviticus 23rd chapter. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. So then, and then the tenth day of that month. Now, on this tenth day, you know, what things were actually you, you, you have to do and you didn't have to do? Because we understand it's a Sabbath and we understand those things. But is there anything else besides the Sabbath uh, of rest that you had to do or things that you could not do, any additional things because of the day of atonement, the holiest 
perceptually holiest day of the year? Well, uh, reading on in verse 30, uh, well, I'll start back again at Leviticus 23 and uh, 27. Also on the 10th day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you. Of course, we understand that's a holy gathering. And ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So now, the different, the, the, set, the, the set of ordinance, ordinances, excuse me, that are associated with this particular day, in addition to the fact that it was the Sabbath, is also a day that we afflict our souls. So, so for those who are listening, who may not understand what afflicting your soul means, it simply means that it is a day that we are supposed to fast or go without eating or drinking anything for a set amount of time. What we're reading about here is a full day. So in the past, when the Day of Atonement came around or when the Day of Atonement started, Yes, it was a sacrifice, it was a holy day, it was a Sabbath day, but it was also a day in which we did not partake of anything as far as food or drinks or, or, or water or anything like that, anything consumable for a whole day. Uh, verse 28, And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it be, that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. He shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at evening. Excuse me. And from even unto evening, even shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. So here in, in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, from verses 27 to 32, is first and foremost the Day of Atonement. We learn that it is a Sabbath in which a sacrifice is to be made. We learn that it is a day of fasting. We learn that it is a day in which no work is to be done that everybody is to celebrate this day with fasting from even to even or from dark to dark, which is our days. Our days start at even. So when, he, so when the Lord said in the ninth month at even in verse 31, that basically is the start of the tenth day in which we are to fast. Now, in Isaiah 58 and 3, I'd like to read that right quick if I could just to prove that it is a fast. In Isaiah chapter 58, and uh, in uh, verse 3, it says, <clears throat> Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? So basically, this scripture came to mind to prove that when the Lord said, Ye shall afflict your souls, it means that we are supposed to fast. We are supposed to humble ourselves on that particular day, for a full day from even to even, not to eat, not to drink anything in uh, uh, recognition of that day, but to uh, celebrate it as a Sabbath. Okay. Thank you, brother, for uh, expounding on that. Uh, but now, Kabar, you know, this is touted as the holiest day of the year, okay? And if you're going to 
fast all day long. You're not going to drink anything or eat anything. That is definitely out of the ordinary, okay? And to, to me, you know, that could be like a little bit strenuous or extreme. But that that one action alone, you know, that's, is that the only thing that differentiates this particular Sabbath day and holy day from others? Or is there something else that, you know, we hadn't covered yet? Well, of course, you would, it would go into, you know, the atonement that the, that the, that the people will make. Where's the part when it goes into actually this? Hold on. This is Sorry, uh, it's kind of muffled right there, brother. Yeah, I was going, I was talking about where, where it was actually going into the scapegoat because that was another aspect dealing with the day of atonement. Um, Good thing you should mention that. Um, I can't remember where that scapegoat. Uh, it's, it's in the scriptures. It's, it's, in, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, yeah, uh, which I could, which I could put my finger on it right smack dab then and there on the spot. Uh, but uh, the Book of Hebrews also gives us some understanding about what was happening on that particular day. Uh, if I could, just right quick. Uh, yeah, I got it. I got it in Leviticus 16. Oh, you found it? Okay, great. Yeah. Now, because we have to understand, it was yes, it was a Sabbath, uh, a Sabbath day, and uh, yes, we were supposed to be doing any work and no buying and selling, no cooking, because we was going to be abstaining from food and drink for the period of 24 hours, which would begin uh, the night of the day before and then end on the night of the day of. Okay, for a full 24-hour period from the dark to dark. But there was also, uh, at that time, the Levitical priest was also going to be performing certain acts or rites as it concerned this particular day. And we're going to deal with it um, going into what was called the scapegoat. Um, uh, let me see. Okay. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16, I guess I'll start at verse 6, and it says, And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall pass lot upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. So remember, at this time, you had the high priest, uh, who would perform the reason or rights, who would go into the holies of holies to make that atonement uh, before the Lord for not only himself but for the nation of Israel. And after he's made that sacrifice for himself, then he would proceed on to make the sacrifice for the people. Because remember, keeping in mind the whole theme of this is to atone, to be to to cleanse ourselves from the sins that we have committed as a nation as a whole up until that time annually, and they were supposed to reorient us and get us back in atonement, at one minute with the Heavenly Father. And that's why you, it's considered, uh, you know, can be considered so so important and so holy of the days is because you're talking about trying to get back to one minute with God, okay? And this is a process by which we can try to do that, okay? So, so now Kabar, we do, I, I guess that uh, scripture, verse 2 here in the same chapter, that's that's where you pick up what time of year this is when this when this is actually occurring. 
because in verse 6 and 7, it doesn't state, you know, when it's actually occurring, what day of the year is occurring. No, no, no it doesn't. It doesn't. Is that how you arrive at it in verse 2? At, at verse 2, we're dealing with, of course, it's dealing with going into the atonement for not only the the uh, the, uh, the high priest, but also for the people. We're dealing with the sacrifice as it related to the Day of Atonement. Okay? So, so hey, was, did you have another question? No, no. Okay, so verse 8, And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. Now, when you talk about the casting of lots, there was mainly uh, some system of chance whether, you know, where you, uh, whether, it's like today, we were, you know, you would cast lots like you have dice and you would roll them, and however they fall, you would make a judgment based on that. And that's basically how in ancient times you would cast lots. Um, uh, in verse 9, And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall he present alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So this is a part of that sacrifice that was going on. Of course, the one was going to be sacrificed and one was going to be feared. Okay, just to show you, to give you that kind of relation that there has to be a payment for sin in order for an atonement or in order for mercy to be given. That's why when we read in the scriptures about, you know, how that blood had to be shed in order for that atonement to be made. And this this is, um, in a way, how that relationship is shown, how in order for one to escape, one has to, a penalty has to be levied on the other. And that's, that's the relationship we get between these two. So it's a very grave, it's a very somber, it's a very serious situation because we're talking about being being made one with God once again, and that's why it's so important and so critical. Okay, so now he's he's taking a, a, a bullock for a sin offering for himself, so that's for his sins. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there are two goats here, and one goat is actually being sacrificed; it's being killed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what what happens with the blood from that goat? Well, the other you mean the one that was sacrificed or the scapegoat? The one that was sacrificed. The one was sacrificed. You, you, it would, it would be as a normal sacrifice would be for a sin offering. You have other parts in the scriptures that tell you exactly how you would offer a sin offering or a meat offering or a meal offering. And in that particular fashion, how the Most High set the, each system up for each sacrifice, that's how that that goat will be sacrificed, which would in the end result in the death of the animal. Okay, so that 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 comes with from verses fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. There is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And what what about the scapegoat? What's 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 going on with that one? You know, you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, well, he's just a scapegoat. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, I know it's kind of probably surprising to a few people to see this in the scriptures. Well, the term scapegoat. Well, the scapegoat is now. Remember, all of this is done. And you know, as a as a symbolism, because when we read on, we realize that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, to give us some way, some background, some way of relating to the overall major process that the Heavenly Father has taken us through, which ultimately would include the implementation of Christ and His 
death and sacrifice. And this is what these symbols begin to represent. So the scapegoat is talking about that goat, who, of course, was able to uh, escape the death or the penalty at that time. Um, we can jump down um, to verse 16, Leviticus 16 and verse 16, just further going to the point. Uh, and he shall make an atonement for, for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of his, their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of the, their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hollow it for the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So it goes, it shows you exactly all the rites, what was done with the blood and everything that went on with that. But let me go on to verse 20. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation of the altar, he shall bring the live goat, we're talking about the sick goat, and, the, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. So it shows you how, and, and remember, all of these are similar to the scapegoat was going to be okay. led into the wilderness by when it says a fit man, meaning a person physically fit to actually lead this goat way out into the wilderness so it doesn't find its way back to the to the people. Because remember, this goat is pretty much an accursed thing now. Basically, all the sins of the people symbolically have been placed on that goat, and now that goat is accursed at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Mind you, as you as you hear these things and, and understand these things, you're going to re- read the actual uh, uh, meaning of all of this that comes out under the sacrifice of Christ and how all our sins were laid upon him and how he had to been, uh, uh, um, uh, have the nations of Israel's sins laid upon him and be sacrificed in order to make an atonement for the people. So you see these symbolisms already being set up uh, in, under the old covenant. Okay, Kazaki, is there anything more that you uh, would like to bring out concerning the scapegoat, uh, concerning any other rites or rituals uh, surrounding the Day of Atonement? Uh, no, 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 sir. Not this time. The, the brother was quite thorough in uh, bringing those things to the forefront so that we understand. Okay. Now, um, obviously, the temple in Jerusalem, you know, is no longer standing there. And, uh, and you know, there's no tabernacle or the congregation any place physically on this earth. Okay, so, and that's where these sacrifices were to take place. So, obviously, these sacrifices are not being done. And if the sacrifices are not being done, does that mean that now the people, the high priest and all these folks, they are still bearing these sins? 
you know, is that what it means? And But before we actually get into discussing that, I want to just go ahead and take a break and go to the announcement. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ. BOCC, your mission is bring out the truth, expose these devils for the liars that they are. Shalom. Here we go. Salvation is near, but is it clear what are you following? The doctrine of some hollow men leading to destruction. Then what you gonna do when you realize the lies open up your eyes? Oh my surprise, the mission really begins in Isaiah 8 and 10. If they're not speaking according to scriptures, why are we listening? They say they're men of the Lord, but their Lord is Satan. Salvation forsaken, Christ that hated. The Lord is gonna stop them, cause false is the doctrine, the last days of Perilous times, but we'll survive them when we ask some question and get the right answer. Are you smarter than your pastor? Tune in to Are You Smarter Than Your Pastors, where we examine things said by men and women claiming to be God's ministers to reveal whether or not they are speaking God's word and doing his will. Tuesdays at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the B-O-C-C. Shalom. All right, welcome back to the program. Uh, today we are discussing the Day of Atonement, and we have uh, gone over the uh, origin of the Day of Atonement, or uh, according to the scriptures, uh, the chapter and verse, Leviticus 23rd chapter, uh, is where it was first mentioned in the scriptures, and I guess in some in some ways that was what was first mentioned. But we just brought some scriptures in um, earlier in Leviticus uh, chapter what was that seventeen sixteen chapter sixteen, 16. where it also spoke of the day of atonement. It spoke of in terms of the sacrifices, as well as it being observed on the tenth day of the month. Um, and we we talked about uh, the fact that. Uh, you know the, the difference between the calendars, the lunar calendar and the solar calendar, and we uh, talked about you know the fact that it's the seventh day, the seventh month of the year is not July. You know no. uh, that seventh month we're actually in the seventh month of the year according to the lunar calendar. We also talked about uh, the fast that was that uh, was to be conducted on the Day of Atonement, and also the sacrifices. Okay. We went through the, the whole thing about the sacrifices, and obviously the sacrifices are not being done now for some really obvious reasons. And one is the tabernacle congregation, the temple, they're not standing. Who knows who a Levite is, much less the high priest, okay? So what, what gives? Does that mean, brothers, that the people, the people of Israel, the high priest, the Levites, that whole family, the whole lineage, but they're still bearing their sins for centuries now since the temple has been destroyed? Or is there something else that's going on that we haven't covered yet in the scriptures that we covered so far today? There's, oh, something, there's, else, there's something else that we haven't covered yet that still remains to be discussed about in the scriptures uh, in, in, in relation to the Day of Atonement and uh, what it means now and its significance. And that's something that we still have yet to discuss is Christ, which is okay. and will but, always 
from henceforth now and forevermore, even at the point of his death, then and forevermore, the high priest. So now things have changed with Christ's sacrifice, and, 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 and Lord willing, we're going to get into that as far as what the Day of Atonement now means and, and the symbolism and, and Christ's impact slash his significance to the Day of Atonement. You know, so, you know, how 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 has Christ impacted a holy day that God gave us? You know, uh, you know, Christ came along centuries after this time. How does his life and his crucifixion even? How does that impact the Day of Atonement? Well, this is the thing: the Lord instituted the Day of Atonement. That was an annual reorientation uh, that the Israelites would go through to atone and and get forgiveness for their sins. But all during the year, of course, they had they would bring as individuals sacrifices for their own sins. But but the thing was the people were bringing the sacrifices to the Levites, the sacrifices were being made, but the true repentance or the turning in the heart wasn't wasn't being affected. That wasn't coming to pass in people's lives. So they were the people were bringing the sacrifices but they and after the sacrifice was made, they weren't they wouldn't repent from the sins. They would go right. Well, back that's to something that the scriptures are calling for for them to make the sacrifices and repent from sins, their sins. Or was Absolutely. it just? It was well, called for that. Isaiah chapter one, verse. We'll start at verse eleven to bring that point out. And this is the heavenly Father who sent Isaiah with his words. This is what the heavenly Father is saying. Isaiah one and verse eleven. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and of the and of the fat of fed beef, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of the or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hands to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Okay, incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn, even the solemn meeting. Your your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hated. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Verse fifteen: When ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from your from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. So the Lord is showing you here. Though the sacrifices were being made, the people weren't repenting from their sins. The sacrifice is, is just the method by which mercy is opened up. It's a gesture. The, the Lord says, I will accept that and grant you mercy. Now, if you read in Romans chapter 1, it tells you what? Not knowing that the mercy of the God leadeth thee to repentance. The purpose of mercy is to give you a space of time in the which you are supposed to repent from the act that you had to bring the sacrifice in the first place. But that wasn't happening. And that's why the most I was like, was telling us, listen, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want to, don't burn incense to me. But, you know, you come for these, the, the, the solemn feast days that I've established, you you treat them as if they're nothing. I'm not, I'm not accepting any of it from you anymore because you're not sincere, because you don't mean it. Let me go on, though. Verse 16, he tells the people what? Wash you. Make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. Verse 17. So that's talking about repentance. This is what the Most High actually want from us. 
He doesn't want the sacrifices. He actually wants the repentance. The animals were just a week so that mercy can be given so that you can repent. But the people were thinking it was all about the sacrifice and not the repentance. And the Heavenly Father saying, no, it's the other way around. It's all about the repentance, not the sacrifices. So he says in verse 17, it says what? Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, and he goes on. So what the Heavenly Father was actually after was repentance all the time. So we already wore out our welcome, so to speak, with these sacrifices we were bringing to the Heavenly Father. They were no more acceptable unto him because we didn't mean it and we weren't sincere about truly repenting from the sins that we were committing for which we had to bring the sacrifice in the first place. There's, wow. But there's more. But there's more. Um, the other part of it is that we're, we're, we still want to get to the heart, the essence of what the Heavenly Father was after. So we already know he wasn't after the sacrifices. That was just a means by which we would attain mercy in order to repent, which is the focal point of what the Heavenly Father was going for. And because we didn't want to do that, he wasn't accepting the sacrifices anymore. But then we want to look at another important aspect of this old covenant keeping of the Day of Atonement before we begin to come to a better understanding of how it's applied now. I think it's on something right quick while you're going into that. I would like to expound on something right quick as far as those sacrifices is concerned. Because right. of the fact that this is this is definitely uh uh basically relevant to what we're talking about as far as the sacrifices. Because our people got into their brains at that time period, okay, I can just sacrifice, I can just sacrifice, I can just sacrifice. And the brother went through it and explained that most eloquently it wasn't about the sacrifices. However, if you did commit this act, here is the opportunity for you to atone or make amends for this act by bringing mm-hmm. sacrifice. But let's look also in the scriptures and see what it says in Psalms 51 and 17, uh, starting at 51 and 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. Our people did not know that. They had yet to really understand the true meaning of that. The, the, the sacrifices, that was something that the Most High gave us so that we can, like we're talking about, make an atonement, make amends. But the true essence of it, uh, of it was the true sacrifices is when you humble yourself. That's the true sacrifice. That's the true essence of it all. Humbling yourself. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and a contrite, uh, a broken spirit, excuse me. The, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. We didn't know that. We didn't understand that. So, so yeah, we were bringing the sacrifices, but that repentance that the brother was talking about wasn't there. Because if it was there, then we would have sacrificed a whole we would have been sacrificing a whole lot less. But okay. it had to be a major sacrifice so that uh, so that we all could get that atonement, and that was Jesus Christ. But we'll get, get into that further on. Okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's quite a bit. And you can imagine that somebody who uh, has not really picked up the Bible very much, especially in the Old Testament, 
and understood anything about these sacrifices right now, they probably got a, a, a few questions. If they don't have questions, then maybe they're kind of puzzled. They, they so puzzled they don't even know what to ask. Okay, so Kabar, I think you were about to explain something else, though. Yeah, all we're, what we're doing is we're starting at a point and we're moving uh, forward in a progression, and just. It's not. It's not. You. It's not about trying to retain every element and every single detail right now. Uh, go through. You know, speaking to the listeners, I have to do it. The brother had to do it. We all have to do it. Go through, and as you begin to read, sincerely seeking the understanding of the Lord, those things that understanding will be given because it's the Lord's good pleasure to give you those things. Those who seek it in sincerity. So we're talking about. We begin at a point of sacrifice for atonement and begin to see that the people was using that, taking advantage of that sacrificial system, but not actually repenting from sin. That's another basic uh, point. Go ahead. Now, Kazaki had kind of uh, referred to something just a moment ago, that uh, Christ was the sacrifice. Now, <clears throat> I think it's commonly known that, you know, when Christ was crucified, he was uh, in some ways the Passover lamb. But, you know, this is atonement we're talking about. And Christ was the Passover sacrifice. So, you know, how does Christ tie into to the atonement? Because you understand, all, all of these annual feasts were all symbolic. When you, when you come to re- understand and comprehend the volume of the book, you realize that all of these feasts were a symbolic representation of an event lying in the future. That single event that will lie in the future is Christ and the works he would do. So the Passover, that lamb, uh, that lamb for the slaughter, that was Christ. That he was the Passover, the slaughter was the atonement that he would make for the nation of Israel. Uh, the, the, the scapegoat that we read about, that the sins will be placed on that goat and sent out, Christ was that also that scapegoat who the sins of the nation of Israel is placed on him and he had to be sacrificed in order for atonement to be made for the people. So all of these things, you, you have to understand them, that how people actually performed them, but they, in all actuality, when you look at the totality, they were symbolic of something that Christ would do in the future. Okay, see, now you say that, and, you know, I believe what you're saying, okay? But for someone else that's listening in, they're listening to you and say, okay, well, I hear what you're saying. Sounds fine, but where's the scripture that says what you're saying? Okay, and we're going to get to that point. But what we're, under, what we're establishing at this point in time right now is mm-hmm. that it began with the Day of Atonement and those sacrificial acts and rites and how mm-hmm. it moved and how it progressed and evolved into something greater and higher. One of the things we understand is that, yes, the people were taking advantage of the sacrificial system, not by the Lord, dismantled it, wasn't, wasn't uh, uh, receiving or accepting their sacrifices anymore because they didn't really want to repent. Now, another aspect of this atonement that we want to look at in order to get to what the true atonement is, we don't want to look at that fasting, how we physically fasted. But in, just to give you just a segue into the higher meaning of that, was that, yes, we physically have fasted and abstained from food. But on the highest spiritual level through Christ, that fast is actually talking about abstaining from sin itself. Now we're going to bring that out according to the Scriptures. 
and <clears throat> dealing with this progression of understanding. Isaiah okay. chapter eight, Isaiah chapter eight, verse three. It says, "Days of that." And yes, Isaiah chapter fifty-eight, verse three. Fifty-eight. Yes, Isaiah fifty-eight and three. This is the heavenly Father once again, and it says, "Wherefore have we fasted, say they, that thou seest not?" Okay, so the people saying we, the little saying you saying you fasting and you saying that I don't see it. The people were saying, "Listen, Lord, we're fasting, but you're not acknowledging it." And it says, mm-hmm. "Wherefore uh, have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure and exact all your labors." So the heavenly Father saying, "Yes, you fast, and you saying I'm not acknowledging it, but why am I not? Because you're exacting all of your labors and doing your pleasures." which means you wasn't keeping the holy bond not working, okay, uh, uh, and, and keeping the rights that were actually pertaining to it. You had people who would would do one part and not the other, or people who would keep keep one commandment and transgressing the other. They they weren't wholeheartedly following after the Lord and keeping his commandments. Verse 4, Behold, he fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness, Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. So the Heavenly Father saying, listen, in the whole, even those of you who fast and do this, you only do it so you can stop and debate over who's more righteous or holier than thou. Not so that you can truly repent before me and gain mercy and forgiveness. But I'll go on. Verse 5. Is it such a fast that I have that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his neck, excuse me, uh, is it to bow down his neck as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? So the Heavenly Father is looking at the way they fast and showing them that, listen, these fasts, these fasts that you're keeping, they're not right. They're not acceptable for the reasons that he had already established because they're not done in sincerity and in truth. Then he goes into verse 6, as going into the essence, the point of what he actually wants or what he actually established these days for, for them to come to the understanding of it. Verse 6, is, it, is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? So the Lord is bringing out, listen, the true fast that I'm talking about is abstaining from the wickedness that you're committing. That's what the Heavenly Father, the true point in essence of what he's going after. So we see that these, the principles are being set up, the foundation is being set up, and the, the Most High is also, while he's doing that, eluding to something greater, something higher, something better in the future, which will be all wrapped around Christ. Hmm. Now, that uh, says quite a bit there because it's, it, it can be a little bit confusing. I hope you understand that. Okay. You know, because in one place, you know, in Leviticus, you're reading that you're supposed to afflict your soul, and then you read earlier in uh, Isaiah that it means that you're supposed to fast, you're not eating or drinking. And, and now um, we're reading here that, well, you know, fast is no good, and the fast seems to indicate that it's something else, that, you know, it's, it's a fast from wickedness. So, what you know, and, and 
And I guess, you, I guess probably once you go further and tie this into Christ, maybe it'll make sense there. Yeah, yeah, because we understand, just to make the point clear, the scripture's not saying do it, then the scripture's not saying don't do it. You know what I mean? It's not like the scripture's saying do it, don't do it. Do it, don't know. Which is right, which you understand is it kind of seems that way yeah. so far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which the scripture's saying, I told you to do it, and you corrupted and perverted it. That's why I'm not accepting it anymore. I gave okay. you something. I gave you something so that you have a way to come back to me, but you're taking it and abusing it. So, therefore, it is no more acceptable to me. Also, what the Lord is saying is, listen, what I truly want, yes, you it, you have this fast that, you're, that I instituted and that you're doing, but once again, you're corrupting that. And also, he's teaching them, yes, I gave you this fast, but you're now corrupting it and not keeping it in truth and in spirit. But the essence of why I gave it to you is so that you will understand that to bring you to true repentance, to stop committing sins, stop being evil, and start living a better, righteous life. That's why I really gave it. But you refuse to acknowledge and do that. Okay. Hey, Kazaki, that look on your face, what's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, the look, because I, I, you know, I understand what the brother, brother is saying as, a, as you know, as opposed to some of the listeners who may not understand. So I'm looking like, yep, that's what it is, that's what it is, that's what it is. But, you know, what? what, what let's also look at the history, because we started off in Leviticus explaining where, where it all started, explaining its origins and what the, Lord, what the Lord instituted. By the time we get to Isaiah, that has been a, there has been a progression, uh, a, a progression, a historical uh, progression of our people in which this, what the Most High instituted as something pure and righteous, this is how it decayed because, not because of him, but because of us and our wickedness. By the time we get to Isaiah, this is what, this is what the Lord has established. This is the low point that it has been brought down to, to the point exactly. that the Lord said, I don't want nothing else to do with your sacrifices because you are wicked. You're not doing these things in sincerity, and I'm not accepting them. Let me ask you, is, is there anything more that needs to be covered, any other steps, before you, you can tie it in, you know, the Day of Atonement, tie it into Christ? Yes. I have one more element to bring out, because now we have to understand that the process of time is going forward. The Most High is going to establish this new covenant, because that's how Christ comes into the scene, a new covenant, and now this old covenant and the old way of doing things, we're going to be reformed to something better. Now, to bring that point out, Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 31, once again, this is the Heavenly Father. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was as an husband unto them, saith the Lord. So it's clearly being made known. The Most High is going to establish a new covenant, and it's not going to be the same or identical as the first covenant that he made when the Lord delivered us out of Egypt. So that's why you start to see these differences in once we sacrifice physically, now we sacrifice spiritually. Once we kept physical uh, uh, fast, now we keep spiritual fast. So that's why you see begin to see uh, a reformation 
a change, but the change is for the better, because the Lord is already establishing this and showing you. Verse 33 of Jeremiah chapter uh, uh, 30. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. So understand just one quick point. When the Lord is talking about this new covenant through Christ, he's still talking about the nation of Israel. It says, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the most I'm talking about how that new spirit, that Holy Spirit through Christ is going to come and that those who repented through Christ will also receive that Holy Spirit and the desire to obey God will be in them. The desire to keep his commandments will be in them. Okay, not that the commandments will be done away with and no longer relevant. The Lord never said that, which the false Christianity of this world preached. The Lord is simply saying that, listen, no longer will I be it's going to be bumping heads about keeping my commandments. No, the ones who actually repent through my son Christ, they're going to be given my Holy Spirit, and that desire is going to be in them. Now we can move forward to the new covenant. <laughs> okay. So verse 34, does that have any relevance to what you were bringing out? Um, yes, absolutely. Think about that. Because uh, it actually goes down to verse 37, but I'm trying to spare the time. But verse 34, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know ye the Lord, for they shall all know, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Uh, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinance of the moon, and the stars for light by night, which divideth the sea, when the ways thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. So this is the Heavenly Father establishing that new covenant with the nation of Israel. It isn't changed. It isn't it didn't go into all nations and everybody because all nations and everybody was never given the covenant from the beginning. It was simply saying that Israel would have a way under this new covenant that the most high would establish through Christ to come back to him through repentance and actually receive that spirit and now they themselves would desire to keep the Heavenly Father and it would no longer be the Most High and prophets and everybody coming to them saying Know the Lord, keep his commandments. No, the desire will be placed in us, and we will be seek out to keep the most high commandments. Okay, so now is that the final point that you are going to make in order to tie it into Christ, the Day of Atonement, tie that into Christ? Exactly, because now we're transitioning from the old covenant to the new, from the old old way to a better way. That's what we're doing right here. That's what this, this, this section is, is showing us. Okay. So what's the next step in time then? Okay, um, go ahead, brother. <laughs> Christ is the next step in time tonight. First and foremost, we have to understand. Well, let me let's start with this scripture in John one twenty nine. It says, "The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world." So now. It, it, the question remains to be asked, how was it, or how is it, or was it, that Christ took away the sin of the world? He took away the sin of the world through him sacrificing himself on the cross for our sins. That's how he took away the sin of all Israel, by his sacrifice. 
and, and you know you know uh, this 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 kind of brings out the other point about the Passover because you know Passover the lamb was sacrificed so here's Christ being called the Lamb of God, but then in the atonement we're reading about bullocks and goats. Mm-hmm. So you gonna tie that in? Here we go. I'm glad that you I'm glad that you put that out there. Let's go to Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, and hopefully this should tie in everything. Luke 24 and verse 44. And uh, this is Christ speaking. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. But the point here that I'd like to emphasize is that all these sacrifices, not just the Passover, but all the sacrifices that you read in Leviticus, uh, the, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles, Memorial of Law and the Trumpets that we covered last week, all of those had sacrifices. Those sacrifices were all symbolic of Christ. I'll read this again. These are the words which I say unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled, all the prophecies of Christ, Christ fulfilled them. Those sacrifices that were performed in the past of the lamb at, uh, uh, at the Passover, the scapegoat, all the other sacrifices dealing with the regular Sabbath and the different Sabbaths that we celebrated then that we still celebrate now are all symbolic of Christ. These are the words which I speak unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Micah, Obadiah, Jonah, so forth and so on, and in the Psalms concerning me. So first and foremost, Christ fulfilled that which was written of about him. He did not fulfill, because uh, a lot of people seem to think, okay, Christ fulfilled the law, we don't have to keep the law no more. That's not what that means. Christ fulfilled the prophecies and uh, of the Christ fulfilled the prophecies as well as the scriptures pertaining to the sacrifices. That's what Christ fulfilled. Yeah. For us to get further edification on that, so in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, once. Not every year, like uh, in reference to the Day of Atonement that the high priest was doing. He sacrificed himself once, Hebrews 9 and 28 again, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. But the point is, Christ, when he sacrificed himself that one time, that was it. Now, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, Christ says, <clears throat> bear with me one second, I've got my thumbs everywhere in the Bible. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. We read about that fulfillment in Luke 24 and verse 44. For I ver- excuse me, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. So basically what we're talking about is the fact that Christ fulfilled those things. In addition, the sacrifices that were affiliated with the different Sabbath days that the Heavenly Father instituted in the Old Testament. Now, it wasn't so, yeah. 
uh, I'd like to read Galatians, if I could, just right quick, just for further proof of evocation. Galatians, just right quick, chapter 3, and verse 24. For wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. All this means is the fact that the law, as it was delivered to us through Moses, served as our schoolmaster, our guide, our foundation, until the time that the Heavenly Father deemed it that it was time for Christ to come to the earth and for Christ to teach us the better understanding or the more perfect understanding and application of the commandments. Mm-hmm. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. What this means is, after Christ has come and taught us how to follow the commandments the way the Most High had originally intended for us to follow the commandments, we are no longer responsible for keeping the commandments under Moses or according to Moses. We are now responsible for keeping the commandments through Christ, which is that So you're saying it's a matter of faith. So I, I thank you, brothers, on to go a little bit further about explaining that. You know, the, the matter of faith and really tying that in. You know, because I yeah. think it's, it's probably still just a, you know, a little bit puzzling what, what you're trying to really say here. But well, I really, really, I really would like to emphasize. I apologize. Really want to emphasize the fact that we are still responsible for following the commandments, even down to the high holy days of the Heavenly Father, but we're not doing it through Moses. We're not following it according to Moses. We're following it now according to Christ. For uh, just a quick scripture, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So what that means is for all of our people, who still want to keep the Day of Atonement according to the Old Testament, the sacrifice is of no benefit to you. For you to partake of that, the richness of the grace and mercy of the Heavenly Father, you've got to follow Christ. Because it was through his sacrifice that we got that grace. It was through, these, through his sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice, that we are no longer responsible for uh, keeping the ordinances of the sacrifice according to the Old Testament, because remember, the brother Kabar read it, the Most High did not want those. He was no longer accepting those. So now, we, you, so maybe you covered it already. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe you covered it already. But is there any scripture that says directly, Christ is the sacrifices. His blood is the, the blood of the bulls. His blood is the blood of the goats. His blood is the blood of the pigeons. Yeah, yeah. All those yeah, things. Yeah, here we go. And, uh, we'll, back up, we'll back up into uh, Hebrews, the same chapter, chapter 9. We'll start at uh, right, uh, verse, uh, all right, go ahead. Uh. Hebrews chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, now of this building, the eternal tabernacle, which is in the heavens, not the earthly tabernacle that was in Jerusalem at that time. Verse 12 is the point. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption 
for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, these different sacrificial practices that the high priest practiced uh, during the different days, including the Day of Atonement, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through Eden, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So those scriptures right there tell you that it was through Christ's blood that now we have that eternal redemption. Now read that, read verse 15 also. Oh yeah, oh yeah, here it is, verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of redemption excuse me, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they, which are called, might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Verse 16 also, because it's very important. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. So where a, where a contract or agreement is, for that contract or agreement or will, some people want to use that one, for that to take place, first, that person that administers the will has to die. Being that Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, those new promises that we were to receive as a nation of Israel would not come into effect until after his death, his sacrifice. Okay, well, and there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice because in verse 22, verse 21, moreover, he sprinkled the blood both the, with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And verse 22 is the point. And almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. That's why Christ had to shed his blood and die so that uh, Israel could remit the sins that they had, uh, they have, uh, they had committed. I think that's probably lending uh, quite a bit more clarification to it. So, you know, it seems that, you know, to this and the other scriptures that have been brought out, that, you know, one does not have to be involved in any type of animal sacrifices because of Christ's blood, because, you know, Christ's blood being shed in the way it was has covered all that. Okay. Exactly. What about other things surrounding the Day of Atonement and Christ? Uh, you know, how does Christ deal with those other things, like the, the Sabbath? Has anything changed about the Sabbath at all? Has anything changed about the the, the fasting now? You know, uh, is the fasting accepted now with Christ? You know, what is all? How does all that tie in? Well, I'd like to read as far as the fasting is concerned, because the brother brought it out at uh, in Isaiah. And I'd like to read it now in First Thessalonians, if I could. I know time is waning. First Thessalonians, just right quick, chapter 5 and verse 22, in which that fast, as the brother brought out in Isaiah, was we were supposed to abstain from, from wickedness, so forth and so on. It tells us also, First Thessalonians, chapter 5 and verse 22, it says, abstain from all appearance of evil. So that means now, through Christ, what are we supposed to do in the past when we abstain from eating and drinking? 
on, on that day. Now, through Christ, on a more spiritual level, we're supposed to abstain from evil. We're supposed to abstain from breaking a commandment. We're supposed to abstain to hold back ourselves from doing that which is contrary to the doctrine of Christ, which is repentance. Now, I think you can see how bringing that scripture out right there, somebody might look at the way that you brought that out and figure that you were arresting the scriptures. You see what I'm saying? Is there, is there anything else that, you know, that brings that out more clearly, you know, that, you know, ties it in more directly? When you when you when you ask, is there anything else that brings it out more clearly? What 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 exactly other, are you referring to? Any other scriptures? You know, uh, because you're you're saying that uh, it says here to abstain from all appearance of evil, and you said, well, that's what we're supposed to be doing now uh, instead of fasting. Is that is that what you said? Right. That that's the fast that we we, we have is abstaining. So uh, how how do we know that's the fast? Okay. Hopefully, this scripture and Titus kind of clears it up. Kind of. Uh, uh, lends more credence to it. For Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That is Jesus Christ. He is that grace of God that bringeth salvation to all men. Verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Okay. All right. So, now, Kamar, I think there was some scripture you brought out earlier uh, um, about that fasting, affliction, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um does, does that kind of what Kazaki is talking about now? Exactly. The, the, it does, that fasting as far as this, the physical application was actually abstaining from food and drink. Okay? That, that was the symbolic physical application. Now the actual spiritual application is now abstaining from the actual true point of the essence of the most I was getting at was which was from sin, transgression, iniquity. Now you know, First uh, John three and four, sin or iniquity or transgression. Sin is the transgression of the law. So when we talk about the law, we're not talking about sacrificing all that. We're talking about there was moral laws, there was dietary laws, there was civil laws that the heavenly Father gave us. Meaning moral laws, how we're supposed to deal. Moral and civil laws, how we deal with one another. Not stealing dealing up rightly so on and so forth. There were dietary laws, meaning there were certain foods that were clean, that the most I made clean, there were certain foods that the most high said were unclean. And the most high made a difference between the things we can and cannot eat. Okay? So moral laws, civil laws, dietary laws, those things apply. That template carries over from the old to the new. We're still responsible for that. The thing we're not doing now is actually uh those ordinances as are related to those sacrifices uh, excuse me, those ordinances as it related to these uh, uh, holy days, uh, which encompass those um, those fastings, which encompass also uh, those sacrifices of animals. We're not dealing with that anymore. Christ was that last sacrifice. But the dietary laws we have to keep, the moral laws we have to keep, 
civil laws and how we're supposed to deal with one another, we are responsible for keeping. So the other, the other, yeah, and, and the other aspect that shows how that fast is actually abstaining from sin, how under the new covenant, that's what the, that's what the Most High is actually getting after, what he actually wants from us under this new covenant in Christ, Hebrews, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. Now that we are understanding Christ, now that we have been brought to this, been cleansed through the blood of Christ, been established with this Holy Spirit, given this new life from the Heavenly Father, now how are we supposed to live our life? What are we supposed to abstain from? What is supposed to be the focus of our direction in the life we live now? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So now he's saying, listen, the Most High through Christ has redirected your life now, has forgiven you for your sins because Christ was a sacrifice, Giving you of his Holy Spirit, so now you that desire to obey God and keep his commandments, that's now in you as it was in Christ. Now you're starting like an infant. What the Heavenly Father saying now was learn, grow, uh, perfect yourself in this way of life now. Abstain from the sins. Live your life in a godly fashion according to the, the guideline, the template of the moral laws that I gave you, the dietary laws that I gave you, the civil laws that I gave you and let Christ now be the example of how to do those things. You know, brothers, what y'all bringing out now uh, is very much reminiscent of Scripture that Barbara brought out earlier in Isaiah 58. Is, is, is that like exactly. the, the link? Is that, is that the link? Could you, could you go to, back to Isaiah 58 and just kind of tie that into what you're bringing out right now? Sure, sure. I'll go back because it, it links in perfectly, and it's because the Scripture says, Line upon line, priest upon priest, of here a little and there a little. We're linked with Isaiah 58 state is brought out perfectly in Romans 12 chapter. But back to Isaiah chapter 58 and verse uh, verse 6, you want to go to the part where the Most High was actually given the true intent of the fast? Uh, that, would, that would be fine. Uh, you, you know, just run through the whole thing. thing. Yeah, uh, oh, verse 4 or 5. Okay. Um Verse, I saw that Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3, uh, okay. going into how they was corrupting it and then what the Most High really wanted. Uh, Isaiah, first, Isaiah 58 and 3, Wherefore have we fasted same day, and thou seest not? Wherefore we afflicted our souls, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure and exact all your labors, meaning you don't actually keep it holy unto the Lord by keeping the ordinances of that day. Verse 4, Behold, ye fast for strife and debate. Okay, so it's showing you the insincerities in the hearts of the people. The fast wasn't about the Heavenly Father. The fast was, I do it better than you. I'm more holy than you. you uh, you're not on my level. Okay, so evil. Then it says, and to smite with the fist of wickedness, meaning so that you can go on and commit those wicked acts, meaning defrauding your neighbor, doing wickedness unto your brother, so on and so forth. It says, you shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. The Heavenly Father once again show you that fast that you're keeping, how you're doing it for strength and debate, how you continue your wickedness. Now those fasts, I don't accept it either. 
So not only was he not accepting the sacrifices, but the fast, the way he was keeping it, the physical fast, he wasn't accepting that either. That's why it was reformed and made better through Christ. But I'll go on, verse 5. Is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? These are questions that the Heavenly Father is asking. He wants you to start to think about it. Like he says, my people, that's not consider. He wants you to think about what's actually, what you're doing and what he actually wants. Not according to your lust, not according to what's in your carnal mind. What do I really want from this? The Heavenly Father is asking you. It says, is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Because that was a common practice of our people when we fast. We'll put ashes and we'll sit in ash, put dung and ash on our head. But the most I've shown you, what I'm really after is not actually that. He goes on. Will that call this a fast, an acceptable day unto the Lord? That's the questions that the most I'm asking us. Now he's going to go on to bring us to the perfection of what he's actually going, uh, uh, the essence of what he wants. Verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the, the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens? All right? The bands of wickedness is talking about us, how we're bound and how we're, we're, we're chained because of our sins and transgressions, how they have loaded us down. And when it goes into uh, to undo the heavy burdens, it's talking about how the rich take advantage of the poor and how we lay those heavy burdens on our brothers and sisters to take advantage of them. All right? There's other scriptures that go upon, go into that, making the ephah uh, great and the, the second great and the ephah poor. And then the scripture goes on in Isaiah, and to let the oppressed go free, further going into how the, the those of our people were oppressing the other. It says, and that he break every yoke, meaning meaning stop the oppression and to do right, like the Heavenly Father is bringing out in Isaiah, the first chapter. Verse 7 goes on. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou feest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thy face from thine own flesh, meaning your own brothers and sisters? Verse 8. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall bring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord will shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. So once again, we truly go into the Heavenly Father and what he's actually going after when he instituted the fast. It was actually to bring us, like, like the scripture says, that schoolmaster is to bring us unto Christ, bring us unto perfection, bring us unto the true uh, essence of what he was actually uh, wanting us to do, with, which is to abstain from sin. Not, not It wasn't so much about abstaining from water and drink and food, but to abstain from transgressing sins and iniquity. That's what it was really about. So if, 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 if a person decided, well, I hear what you're saying, so I'm definitely, I'm going to do my very, very best to abstain from all sins. I'm going to learn about sin and abstain from it. But as far as, you know, not fasting on the Day of Atonement, I would, you know, I think I need to fast on the Day of Atonement. What would, you, how would, what would be your response? The only thing would be, yes, if you, if you want to fast, there's nothing wrong with fasting because Christ even says with certain sins and transgressions, that goeth not out but by prayer and fast. But the Heavenly Father, the, the essence of it is, the fast is not what's going to save you. It's faith through Christ. When you fast, that's going to save you. That's the point. Okay. 
Well, brothers and sisters, um, uh, thank you so much for listening in. And uh, all praise is due to the Most High in Christ. I pray that everybody has been edified by the things that have been discussed in the program today. And I, I beg you to uh, listen to us again next week when we're going to discuss the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, until then, the Most High and the name of Christ bless you. Brothers and sisters, thank you for visiting with us in the virtual living room of the Body of Christ Church. You can visit our website at thebocc.com or you can email us at bodyofchrist at youreach.com or call us at 877-871-1712. Until our next visit, the Most High in the name of Christ bless you. Shalom.